The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. In this series that you've joined us with, this series called Road Trip that we're in part two this week, just in case you haven't seen the beautiful massive sign behind us, we get to walk through encounters, unexpected encounters that Jesus has with different individuals in the New Testament. Now, if you look at the New Testament as a whole, you see Jesus has a whole variety of, of conversations and powerful words and thoughts with different individuals. Jesus has spoken to kings and beggars. Jesus has spoken with the hard-hearted and the broken-hearted. He has spoken with those that have fallen away from him and those that have fallen on their faces before him. Jesus has spoken with those that have had nothing but contempt for him and he's had nothing but compassion for them. And compassion for us is a big deal. I mean, I, I, I know that I need not only compassion from God, but from compassion from our fellow man. And I think you all would agree with me that compassion is something we all need. I mean, I know that I need compassion. I remember some years ago when, when my kids were young, my daughter was about six or so, and my son was eight, and we were, we were new to church life. I mean, I grew up Catholic, I come from a Catholic background, and we were, we were new to, the, to the navigating the church and the ins and outs and where to be and what to do. That was kind of all new to us. So on one particular morning, I remember going, uh, we were late for church that particular day, so we got a late start of the morning, got to get us ready, got to get the kids ready. That particular Sunday, we decided to take two cars to church. I mean, I was going to be later than she was, so it just made sense. So we packed everybody into Nuri's car, everybody into my wife's car. I'm ready, she's ready. All the kids are in there strapped in. We got extra snacks for them, extra clothes, because somebody's getting filthy for sure. We, we synchronized our watches, ready to go. We shot out of the house on the way to church. We get there like 45 seconds before the first service starts. So my wife walks in. She bolts down this hallway to get my daughter to where she needs to be. I sprint down the opposite hallway to deliver my son to where he needs to be. And then we rendezvous at our regular point, balcony, top row, or second row in the balcony, the first two seats. (sighs) Take a deep breath, get there. We're in like song two or song three of the worship set. So my wife is whispering in my ear, and we're coordinating. Hey, don't forget it's so-and-so's birthday, and I've got my stuff, and you've got your stuff. And I took the kids, so you take the kids home. Got it. We're all good. Finish the worship, finish the teaching time, and then we head off to serve in our different locations. And she was serving on this end, and I was serving in another part of the church. So afterwards, we're in the hallway, and we're still kind of coordinating, getting everything fixed. And, and here, take your Bible. You give me your Bible. And uh, don't forget, we got that going on today. And, and you take the kids home because I brought them here. Good, we got it. I got it. So I head off to my place. She heads off to hers. Great class. We had wonderful discussion, food, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, headed back to the car. Now I'm tired. I, I had to make two trips to the car with all the stuff that I had, and I'm finally slumped over in the front seat, one of the last cars to leave the parking lot again, headed home, and I'm tired, and I get home, and my wife's car's there, and I'm just like sauntered into the garage and picked up some of the palm branches that were on the ground and walked in. Hey, Muñeca, how are you? How did it go? How was your time? Fantastic. So how are the kids? Everything froze. Like, like, like time stopped. All right, and, 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 and my wife looks at me right in the eyes, and, and I don't, guys, husbands, if you've been married for any length of time, maybe, my, my whole body went stiff, like everything, and, and, and the air around me stopped, and my wife looked at me right in the eyes, and she says, what do you mean, how are the kids, Frank? And at that moment, I, Lord help. And, and I flew out of the house, I jumped in a car, raced down the street, and I'm, I mean, I'm white knuckling the steering wheel at the light, I'm going, come on, light, come on, light. And I peer across the intersection at the opposite direction of traffic, and I see a minivan, I recognize my friend's driving it, 
And my kids are in the window, and they're like, hi, Daddy. They're waving at me as they're heading off home. And at that point, I knew it's just going to be worse when somebody else gets home with my kids. So I made the U-turn, and I head home. And, and now, look, I'm just I'm nervous, and I'm, I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm embarrassed. I'm trying to come up with a story. I mean, because I, I know. I mean, I get home, and I am preparing for the onslaught that awaits me. I mean, I'm bracing for impact. I mean, this is all on me. I get in the house, open the door, and let me tell you, I was never so grateful for the compassion and the grace that my wife showed me that day. I needed that compassion from God for sure, but compassion from my wife. And if you look in the New Testament, you see compassion around every turn. You see the God of compassion who acts with compassion towards needy people. In fact, you see Jesus with everything he says and everything he does. Show compassion towards the needy. I mean, with people hurting, he helps them. With people broken, he, he makes them whole. People in difficult scenarios, he picks them up and he ministers to them in the middle of their mess. You could very well say that Jesus is compassion in the flesh. So if you've walked with us in this series, you've not only seen, but you've heard that God cares, that Jesus cares. And not only does he care, but he does something about what he cares about. And not only does he care and do something about it, but he actually has the ability and the authority to impact that scenario. Jesus' compassion is going to lead to our restoration. And that's where we're driving this morning, that Jesus' compassion leads to restoration. And you're here this morning, and and man, so grateful. You guys are the overachievers. You're here on a holiday weekend. Thank you for coming. We're grateful. Now, you're here, but, but you've brought some things with you. Perhaps you've brought some physical pain. Perhaps you've brought some financial crisis that's weighing on you and overpowering you. Perhaps your your family's fractured and you're here this morning with the weight of that difficulty and the challenge of that. It's distressing. You, You feel like you're at the end of your rope. You don't see any way forward. Maybe you're here like that. Jesus' compassion leads to our restoration. And you think through that. Well, okay, well, well, how does Jesus' compassion for humanity restore humanity? Like, like, how does Jesus' compassionate touch reach out, reach down, renew, revive, restore people? Like, how does that happen? That's a good question. That's a legit question. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter 7. That's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel. If you've got your devices, meet me there. Those of you online with us, thank you for being here. Meet us in Luke chapter 7. We're going to be right in the middle of chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from verse 11, and as you guys are making your way there, let's just let's look at what Luke is doing. As a whole, what we've seen in his gospel already is that Luke has shown Jesus with power and with authority and with compassion as he ministers to people and goes from place to place and from town to town. Jesus has already seen as this compassionate, powerful, and loving God. And in Luke's story, in Luke's account this morning, we're going to see him again show compassion for a needy person. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So one of the things we do as we look at the scriptures is we, we never want to isolate a set of verses. We want to look at them in context. So when we, when we look and we try to understand the scriptures, you want to see what's happening in light of the chapter, maybe in light of the book, what's going on culturally, because we want to see what the original author has to say to the original audience. That's how we understand the scriptures. So here, let's just build context. What's going on at the time is, if you recall, Jesus is in Capernaum. 
He, he was in Capernaum, and he was there. Uh, that's kind of like his headquarters. That's where a lot of ministry took place. That's where a lot of miracles happened. That's where he selected a lot of his disciples there in Capernaum. Now they make the trek. They take the road 20 miles away to the town of Nain. But notice with me, there's two groups in that verse. The first group are his mathetes. Now, you're going to know that word by now. That word is the ancient Greek word, which means disciple. These are the sold out, the followers of Jesus, his mathetes. That's that first group. The second group, though, is a great crowd. Now, by now, as Jesus has gone from town to town and city to city, he's kind of amassed the following. I mean, there are naysayers and critics. There are doubters and maybe on the fringe believers, all following Jesus from place to place. These are the two groups that we begin to see Jesus travel with as he heads to the city of Nain. Well, let's look at chapter 12, verse 12 in chapter 7. Let's look at that and see exactly the encounter that Jesus is going to step in there in verse 12. So check with me. Verse 12, there in Luke 7. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who has died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. In verse 12, what we begin to see Luke doing, he begins to paint the picture of this this difficult, of this uh, challenging encounter that Jesus steps into. We have to understand something about what's happening to this woman, to this situation, to recognize the desperation that Jesus is witnessing in this moment. Now, notice what's said about this woman, or about the scenario, three points in that verse. The first one is this, that the man who has died is the only son of his mother. Secondly, the woman who's had her only son, that she's a widow. So her husband has died. Two very significant points in this passage. And thirdly, there's a great crowd that's following her also, following her family in this funeral procession out the gate down to the burial grounds. Because you see, in that day, they didn't bury their dead within the city. What they would do is they would have, basically, Jesus runs into a funeral procession. And they're taking the body over to the burial grounds or to the tombs outside of the city gates. That's what we see happening. But what's really, really significant about that is that this woman, any woman at this time in history, in this place, in that position, is absolutely unprotected. She is, dare I say, in dire straits. She has no husband because her husband has died, and now she has no older son, no son at all. So she is in a very difficult position. She's that way physically, she's that way economically, and she's that way socially. I mean, socially, she's, she's an outcast. She has no standing. Economically, she's, she's broken. She's, she's impoverished. And socially, she, or, or practically, she's hopeless. So just imagine that scenario. I mean, the, the whole town is falling out. They're grieving, and they're crying, and they're moaning. And, and she's, she's broken. She's, she's destitute. She's hopeless. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to be at wit's end, to see no way forward, to see no hope in sight, no light at the end of the tunnel? Do you know what it's like to be hopeless? Well, the scripture is showing us here that this woman's situation is desperate. She now has no family. She has no protection. She has no provision. She has no standing. She has no hope. She is without hope in her condition. She's lost her husband. She's lost her son. What would think about that scenario for just a moment? This week, you, you, you lose your best friend. You get let go from your job. Your husband leaves you and your son dies. It doesn't get any worse than that. 
That's, that's a bad day. That's a bad week. That's a bad year. That's bad. It doesn't get any worse than that. If you were in the funeral procession that day, if you were walking with these people side by side, you would hear the moans and the cries of a broken woman. You would see the tears on the pain-stricken face of a broken widow. She's lost her son. And hope has gone with him. And Jesus' compassion is going to restore this woman. Let's look at verse 13, and let's see what Jesus says and what he does with this broken widow. Track with me, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Jesus steps into her situation. He he sees her pain. He recognizes her plight. And he steps in the middle of her mess and approaches her in the midst of her chaos. Why does he do that? And why doesn't he just turn away? Because God doesn't turn away. Not then and not now. In fact, if you've brought some pain with you this morning, if you are struggling through something in the middle of some, some, something that outweighs you, something that weighs on your shoulders and your knees are about to buckle, you need to know that Jesus is still here ministering to his people in the middle of their mess. He shows up in the midst of your chaotic life, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of situations that are too big, too broad, too heavy for you to handle. Jesus is there with compassion for his people. So he looks in the face of this woman and he has compassion for her. Now hold on to that word because that's a significant word. Not just in this text, but as the New Testament unfolds, it's, it's all over the place. And it's significant because what we're seeing, what we're learning is this is the very character of God. This is the very character of God the Father seen perfectly in God the Son. And he's displaying it to this woman. And he's displaying it to everyone in the New Testament in need and he displays it to us. It's that kind of compassion. Now, we think of compassion and we, you know, we, we have maybe situations where we feel compassionate. Like, man, I'm so sorry about that situation, man. Best wishes to you there. Man, and you know, that's really bad to hear. Oh, gosh, yeah, wow, that's, I'm sorry. Good luck with that. I mean, sometimes it feels just superficial, just kind of surfacy. But when Luke writes this word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that word compassion in the original language in the Greek has a very specific connotation to it. This word compassion that's listed there has the sense of this deep, profound pity that moves you to action. It is this gut level, this deep-rooted pity that, that compels you to step into someone's situation and help. It is that kind of deep, profound compassion that Jesus approaches people in need. It's like, like a mother who, who, who sees a child in desperation or a mother who sees her own child in desperation. I mean, what mother, what father would not move heaven and earth to minister to their hurting child? I mean, what was Nuria processing that day when, I mean, what, what compelled me to move when, when I'm home and she's home, but my eight-year-old and our six-year-old is out there somewhere, unprotected alone? I mean, what compelled, I, I flew out of the house, I jumped in the car, I don't know how many laws I broke before I stopped at the light, but, but what compelled me to go? The compassion for my children. And the fact that Nuria would kill me if I hadn't gone, but 
both of those kind of there. The compassion for my kids. It's that kind of compassion that Jesus has on people of need. And that's what begins to come out of the text. But look at verse 13. It doesn't end there. There's more to that verse because after he sees her and he shows her and looks at her with compassion, there are three striking words that Jesus uses there in verse 13. Do you see them? Do not weep. Fantastic, right? Isn't that that great? No, not so much. But Jesus, we thought that, man, after surveying all the pain, and after taking in all of the, the difficulty, the distress, the, 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 the situation that she's in that is so desperate, we thought you would have something a bit more profound to say than, hey, girl, stop crying. We thought you would have, I mean, you, saw, you see the situation she's in. The whole town knows it. They're following her out. Man, don't you think you'd have something a bit stronger to say than stop your crying? And we feel that way. We feel that way because most often, I mean, that's all we can say. We feel that way because so often, I mean, we can't say any more than that. I mean, when, when my daughter's in distress or something's going on and, and she's crying and, and, and she, you know, I, I'm trying to, oh, baby, don't cry, Bella, it's okay, don't cry. I'm trying to comfort. I'm trying to console. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to build her up in some way. But I've got to be honest with you. There are times where my words feel hollow. They just feel empty. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing that I can do to actually impact that situation. I mean, I can't say that I do not have the ability or the authority to change the outcome of those circumstances. But Jesus' words, far more than being hollow or empty, Jesus looks at this woman with compassion and with power, he says to her, do not weep. We are talking about the sovereign God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all that is. He's got both power and authority. That's his sovereignty. He has the authority to say what he wills and the power to execute that and carry it out. And he looks at this woman with compassion at her worst case scenario. And he says to her, do not weep. Because he, has a, he can give her a reason not to weep. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 where we can see the reason that he gives her not to weep. Track with me in the text, verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and, and, and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And this is what I've conveniently called the meeting of the two sons. You see, what's happening here, what's going on, just to help understand the framework again, is this funeral procession that Jesus walks up into, they, they actually, they don't have open coffins, they don't even have closed coffins, they have what, a burial plank, and the bodies are wrapped in linen strips, wrapped in linen cloths, and they lay them on this burial plank, kind of a sheet of wood, plywood, and they carry it on their shoulders on the way to bury the body. So Jesus walks up and taking in all that he's seen, he sees the situation, recognizes, and he does something absolutely astounding. Like nobody, but nobody would have thought to do what he did. He steps up, he stops the, the, the procession, he reaches out, and he touches the burial plant. Now understand, at that time, the, the mindset was that, that Jesus, by his action, automatically defiled himself. 
He automatically became unclean because he touched something unclean. That was their mindset. But Jesus, far more concerned about compassion than he is cleanliness, and you know they had rules, all kinds of rules for all kinds of cleanliness. I mean, the religious leaders at the time would take people through all of these laboring, legalistic things for cleanliness. But Jesus, far more concerned about compassion, he reaches out and he touches the burial plank. And in their mind, in their mindset, what they thought is that automatically anyone who touches anything that's dead or diseased would defile themselves. They would become unclean because of what they did. But Jesus, the giver of life, when he touches something that's dead, he gives it life. I mean, we've seen Jesus, and he has touched those that are hurting and, and, and sick, and he makes them, and he heals them. He's touching those that are broken and withered, and he makes them whole. He touches dead things, and they come to life, because when Jesus touches something, it doesn't impact him. He impacts it. Amen. Amen. This is what we see Jesus doing. And in that text, we see, I mean, to the befuddlement, to the bewilderment, to the amazement, to the shock, Of all the people witnessing this event, the naysayers and the doubters, the critics and the followers, they are just, they can't believe what's unfolding before their eyes. At Jesus' powerful word, the corpse sits up. Like, like he comes back to life and speaks. And then Jesus gives him to his mother. See, he didn't just give the child back to his mom. She got much more than that. She got hope. She got life, in a sense. And now the scriptures don't lay out for us, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly what the response was or or how this woman reacted, but you can picture in your mind, I mean, this broken and grieving mother, how she would erupt into joy at the voice of her son, at the voice of her only son. Jesus' compassion has led to her restoration. And if we look at the next verses, we can see exactly how in 16 and 17, now he begins to kind of close out that passage. And we see the response that Luke writes, how these people that watched Jesus' supernatural, otherworldly work in front of them, how they responded. They responded in, in shock and in fear and in awe. Not fear like I'm afraid, but fear like they're revering. And it led them to worship. Now, in the minds of these people, what, you know, what, what these Jewish men and women were thinking were, I'm sure they were bringing to mind and recollecting the, the famous prophets that they had heard and, and all the names that they remember from the history that did similar things that, like Jesus was doing. But Jesus, in a more profound way, in a more striking manner, Jesus speaks and death runs. Jesus enunciates and the darkness scatters. And they begin to see this unfold in front of them. And they cry out, oh, a great prophet has arisen. Or, 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 you know, God has visited his people. Now, they're on track, I think. I mean, I think they're headed in the right direction, but they're not quite there. Because Jesus, far more than a prophet, the very son of God. And God hasn't just kind of like visited his people. It's God who's shown up. See, what, what God has done is God has sent his son, Jesus, He has visited his people in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has set foot on enemy territory and has broken the shackles of sin and has ruptured the chains of death and given us life. That's what Jesus has done. And and we begin to see these things happen in the gospel. And my friends, as we look at this situation, man, this is the picture of the life-changing, heart-renewing, world-changing gospel. 
And when we say gospel, we mean what the scriptures declare. The the very life, the very death, the sacrificial, joyful death of Jesus on the cross for me and for you and his glorious heaven-opening resurrection. That's a picture of the gospel because we are just like that widow. Her without her son, this widow without her son, she is socially outcast, no standing. She is economically impoverished and poor. She's got no provision. Without her son, she is practically hopeless. She has no hope. And you and I, humanity, without the son, without Jesus, we are poor, we are impoverished, we are without protection, we are without provision, and we are hopeless. We are without hope. And God sends His Son, sends His Son so that we could have a relationship in peace, in love, in unity with God the Father once again. That Jesus Himself comes and breaks the chains of death and sin and gives us life. And this is why Paul can say, and and Paul announces to another hurting, the great Apostle Paul, no stranger to pain, no stranger to suffering, no stranger to following Jesus, announces to another hurting and, and, and difficult church in a difficult place, and he says to them, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, death? Because Paul knows that in Jesus, death has been declawed and defanged and overwhelmed, that Jesus has come and he has removed the sting of death. So Paul can announce that boldly and confidently to that church and to those people. That is a picture of what we see happening in the gospel. When Jesus gives her back her son, he gave her hope. When God gives us his son, he gives us hope. You see, what Jesus did in giving the son back to the widow, God has done in giving the son back to us. It is that picture of Jesus and his compassion for humanity. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he's displaying compassion to the world. I mean, and don't think for one moment, as we, as we look at this, I mean, don't think for one moment that Jesus cannot identify with your suffering. And don't think for one fraction of a second that Jesus cannot recognize and understand your pain. For Jesus is an experienced sufferer. Jesus has his PhD in suffering. I mean, he left the glory of heaven. And he came to be born of a woman on this earth to suffer, to live as you and I live, to become one of us. He realized pain, he recognized sorrow, he wept, he he got hungry. In fact, the scriptures would tell you that Jesus was tempted with sin as all men are, yet did not sin. It's this Jesus. He's an experienced sufferer. And then three days later, as the scriptures indicate, God has raised him from the dead, opening the gates of heaven for us. This is the Jesus that identifies with us. And he identifies with you and I today. And in this passage, we see it clearly. The son that's raised to life for this woman brings more than joy. It brings hope. And it brings life. And as we close our time, we see that no matter the location or condition, those who have been touched by Jesus, his compassion changes everything. As we looked at Romans 8.28, where Jesus looks and Jesus says to them, all things work together for good. Again, Paul can say that, 
Paul, with, inspired by the Holy Spirit, can say these words with boldness and with authority and with confidence when he says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, Paul is saying there that, that if you love God and if you are called according to his purpose, all things, I mean, that word in the Greek means everything, it means all things, they work together for good. In some way, in some fashion that we cannot understand or wrap our head around, in some way, whatever you've brought with you, whatever I've got going on in my life now, is working together for my good if I love God genuinely and if I'm called according to His purpose. I know we use that verse a lot of times and we just kind of throw it out on the table as kind of a catch-all, but Paul, far from being cavalier or casual about it, knows exactly what he's saying and with the authority of the Holy Spirit, boldly presents that to the Roman church who also is struggling. So for you and I this morning, we see that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's not easily said. That's not flippantly said. But Paul says that to this Roman church that's hurting. And we see that come out, in a sense, in the text. You might think, well, great for the widow. I mean, fantastic for the widow. That's, that's wonderful for her. But, but I'm still hurting. I mean, my family's still fractured. I mean, I still don't have a job. But you know, that widow still struggled. I mean, that widow still had to, to watch the life of her son ebb slowly away. She, that, that widow still had to make the funeral arrangements and cry all the tears and make all the arrangements and do all of that. And then Jesus showed up. I mean, I'm sure the widow thought, maybe, you know what, if you would come two days earlier, you might have saved me some tears. Maybe I didn't have to pay for all these finances. But it wasn't according to her timing. It's according to God's timing. So in that moment, in the middle of her mess, when her chaos encircled her, like, a, like draped over her like a wet blanket, there Jesus shows up. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of those overwhelming circumstances that you see no way out of and no way around, the compassionate God is not far from you. He shows up in the middle there. And we see that coming out this morning. In this life, no matter location or condition, those are touched by Jesus. His compassion overwhelms them. Do you know his compassion? Do you know his compassion? This is what he came for. Because I'll tell you, at the end of the day, my great comfort in suffering is my great Savior. Do you know his compassion? And this morning, we can all leave here knowing his compassion. I mean, undoubtedly, in a crowd like this, there are many of you that you're walking with Jesus. Man, you're locked in, and Frank, I'm tracking with you, and you know all the words to say, and you know all the Bible verses, and you've got a relationship with God. That's fantastic, but maybe it's the timing. Maybe you need to recognize God's timing in this scenario. Maybe you need to recognize and come to terms with, it's not my timing or your timing. It is God's timing for his compassion to show up according to his perfect will in his perfect way. It's God's timing, not our timing. Maybe, maybe, maybe all of you, some of you are here and, and you, know, you don't have this relationship with Jesus and you haven't walked with God and, and you're visiting today or somebody dragged them with you and you're just here this morning. Well, you can leave here with the compassion of God. I mean, he's reaching out to you. You can reach back out to him and recognize that he's calling unto you. And just like the widow, the great compassion for her brought restoration great compassion for you will bring restoration. I mean, God has come 
and he's extended a hand, and he offers this free gift, this free offer of salvation for you. You need only to receive it. And this morning, we're going to pray together. We're going to close our services in prayer in just a moment. But I would tell you that, that this prayer is not going to save you. What the Bible says is that the confession of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the belief in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that will save you. You trust in him, you repent of your sin, and you trust in what Christ has done. You trust in his, his sin-breaking, his life-giving death and his glorious resurrection. So I would ask everyone here to bow their heads and to close their eyes with me this morning. And for those that, that, that need to cry out to Jesus, for those that are, that are ready to, to, to walk with him, to, to accept it, that free offer of salvation that he gives, you can pray with me. Father, I need this compassion. Lord, I trust in, and believe in what Jesus has done. He's lived for me. He's died, buried, and risen from the dead, just like you said. I believe in that. I trust in that. I ask, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. I accept Jesus' sacrifice for me. Thank you for loving me the way you do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.